All right. Let me, uh, I don't want this to be a, a, an empty uh, promise or an empty intent, but we have a couple of things to do right after service. So um, we'll just do this uh, as quickly and as judiciously as we can. <laughs> I'll make no promises to be brief. <laughs> I don't want to stand up here and, and break one right off the bat. <laughs> So, uh, let me invite you to uh, open your Bibles to the 18th chapter of Luke. And uh, as you do that, um, let me just go ahead and say right off the bat that the parable that we're going to look at today, uh, as I said at the beginning of the service, is not only familiar, but it's challenging. And as we begin to see it and ask the Lord to show it to us with fresh eyes, then we need to not look at it as something that we've seen before and say, oh yeah, I know what that is. Don't do that. <laughs> I like all these parables. As, as we begin to see what the Lord himself taught, it, it, it is challenging to us. The word is sharper, more powerful than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit. So that is what we need the word of God to do. It is light to us and it is life to us. And so we need to see, once again, what the Lord was trying to teach. There are many, many lessons here. We're not going to cover them all. I've reserved a bunch of that in your uh, small group time. Uh, there are many things to say, and I want you to discuss those, so I probably won't say much about that here. But beginning in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18, here is what we read. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, I think they were Baptists. Sorry. <laughs> that line's not in there, is it? Uh, it's applicable. Okay. They looked down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, Right off the bat, we see that Jesus addressed this parable to those who were confident in their own self-righteousness. Okay? Now, this falls where it may. And we each have to do the job of internal examination as we look at the parable. Because one of the most insidious things that the enemy puts in front of us is that little thing called pride. And it's never been lost on anybody who teaches very much that the center letter in the word sin and the center letter in pride is what? I. <laughs> now, we'll say some more about that in a minute. But whenever we are tempted in that way, many times we are blind to it. We don't know that we've fallen into that. And so we need the Lord's enlightenment. We need the Lord's conviction. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us in the truth, all of which he does. And so... When we're caught here, when we're caught in this trap of, of pride, we are prone then to despise others. Are we not? Well, they don't have it all together as good as me. 
<laughs> I haven't been reading anybody's mail. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not castigating. I'm just uh, trying my best to apply. And so these people who despised others, may I say it this way, they were the preachers, the Pharisees. I, I've made no secrets ever that the harshest things that Jesus had to say, he said to the preachers. Now, we call them Pharisees, and sometimes we forget that that was kind of the role that they had. They were the teachers of the law. They were the preachers. I just put it in modern context. And, you know, if it's not right in the pulpit, it's certainly not going to be right in the pew. And so this attitude of despising others was embodied by these Pharisees, these preachers. And what that word means is to count as nothing. Total disregard, total lack of compassion. And the word tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, do not think more highly of yourself than you should. Now, I have brought that verse up in times past to remind you that it, doesn't, it does not say that you have to go around castigating yourself and projecting false humility. It's not that either. It just says don't think more highly of yourself than you should. What, what's good about you? You are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You are bought. You are bought with a price. God has redeemed you. God has saved you. God has gifted you. God can use you, and He wants to do all of that. But it's not by your own merit that that's true. It's by His. So, you know, you know we don't go around. You know, I, we've all heard, particularly those of us in vocational ministry, we, we've all had folks in church that they, they saw these concepts, and, you know, they go around constantly with this, you know, poor mouth in themselves. Well, you know, when you do that, you're talking about God's child that God redeemed. So it's, it's a proper perspective that we ought to have. I understand who the vine is. I understand I'm the branch. It's not about me. And it's okay. Know that. Be confident in who you are. And you see, I, it always helps to go back and see what some others have said. And of this particular idea and concept, John Calvin wrote the following. He said, Christ reproves and condemns two sins improper confidence in ourselves, and pride in despising others, the one which springs from the other. For whoever deceives himself by false confidence cannot fail to magnify himself above others. That's what we do. That's where it leads us. It's a logical progression. It's the path that we go down. So before us in the parable, we see two men. Both present themselves for worship. Now think about that. Everybody came to church. On any given Sunday, in any given congregation, these two people are present. Two guys came to church. Two church attenders who were very different from each other. Their manner of life was different. Their stations in life were different. The reputations they had among other people were very different. Right? Now, the Lord presents them in very stark relief. I mean, it's black over here and white over there. I mean, it can't get more, more graphic than it is. And one of them was a lawkeeper. The other one was a lawbreaker. But what do we know about the law? The law is powerless to save. It presents to us our need, but it cannot do anything about the need. Right? And you see, this Pharisee was the lawkeeper and, and proud of that the publican was exactly that. He was a person who collected taxes. Some of your translations probably read tax collector. You need to understand just a little bit how that works. When we were working our way through Matthew, I shared with you that there were um, tax collectors. My friend Stanley is here. Uh, Y'all know Stanley. 
Um, so let me pick on Stan just a little bit. We'll be together next week. Uh, <laughs> and so y'all pray for us, okay? But uh, let me, I'm going to make Stanley be the publican, okay? <laughs> but I'm going to let, I'm going to let Jimmy be the tax collector. Just to give you an example of who it is that we're talking about. You have Rome ruling the world. Here's the Jewish community, and Rome says we need X amount of money. And so Jimmy would be like Matthew or Zacchaeus. He would be in charge of a regional area. We might say uh, Jackson County. So Jimmy makes a contract with Rome, and he says, okay, I will collect the money that you need uh, from Jackson County. I'll be responsible for that. Well, he can't do it by himself. So he goes out and hires some subcontractors. <laughs> and uh, matter of fact, I won't just totally pick on Stanley. Uh, I'll pick on Chad too. <laughs> so Jimmy goes, Jimmy goes out and he says, Hey, Chad, I will assign you Skyline. You collect the taxes in Skyline. Here's what I got to have. Anything you collect more than that, you can have it. And he says, hey, Stan, I need a tax collector in Scottsboro. You collect the taxes in Scottsboro. Here's what I got to have. Anything you get more than that, you can keep it. That's literally what happened. And Jimmy's role is embodied by Zacchaeus and Matthew. That's what they were. They were the regional collectors. These two guys that I've given you names and faces for were the publicans. And all of them were hated because they were treated as traitors and all manner of evil things. They couldn't go to worship. They couldn't, they couldn't come. They couldn't take part. The, the Jewish structure wouldn't let them. So here Jesus puts the publican at church. <laughs> can the sinner come? Yes, the sinner can come. That's me. Okay? So they present themselves for worship. Their reputations are vastly different from each other, but they are also very much alike. Why are they alike? They're both equally sinful. And both of them stand in need of what only God can do and what only God can give. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure about the rest of y'all. <laughs> you better get on board. Now, what we can observe about them is different. The observable actions are different, but they're still both, in the beginning of the parable, sinful, right? Their inner character was the same. And what matters the most? What you see on the outside or what's on the inside? What's on the inside? It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out. And where does it come from? It comes from the heart. And that is what matters. And so one was a hypocrite and the other was openly sinful. You know, in terms of the book of Revelation and the church at Laodicea, this, you know, the, the hypocrite is one that's lukewarm. He's pretending. The one who's openly sinful is cold. <laughs> and the Lord says, I would that you were cold or hot, but because you need the one, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. So the publican was cold. But they both go to pray. Who can pray? Everybody can pray. Okay? They both examine their hearts. And the prayers that come from that examination have a great deal to teach us we see the result of their effort as they examine their hearts, okay? So the prayers are a study in pride and humility. And it's very obvious, you know, which place both of those lie, but let's, let's take a look at it. The Pharisee congratulated himself. I am so good. I am the Baptist of Baptists. <laughs> 
we, there's a guy that made up funny songs from church. I don't know why this went through my mind, but I'll share it with you. Um, he, he made up this song. He said, about his Sunday school pins, some of y'all remember back when you used to give Sunday school pins for Sunday school attendance. And a little song went, oh, my Sunday school pin got too long for my coat and it hung all the way to the floor. I had not missed a Sunday in 43 years and next Sunday would have been 44. But it all came to an end when I fell and I tripped on my Sunday school pin. <laughs> he, he broke his leg and had to stay home. <laughs> you know, we, we have that, that pride in what we do. It's thinking more of myself than I should. So this guy congratulated himself. He commended himself for his own goodness. You ever seen any folks like that? Now, the publican pursued something else. He pursued mercy. Notice this. He was honest with God and himself. We worship the Lord in the spirit of holiness. We in spirit and in what? Truth. Truth about who God is, truth about what God desires to do, truth about who I am, and truth about my need. And my need is greater than I will ever be able to comprehend. Say amen. amen. That's my need. That's our need. And it's true of every one of us. The problem is we just don't go there and say it out loud very often, do we? Because it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us feel inadequate. And I would submit to all of us that the more, the more comfortable we can become with being inadequate and recognizing our inadequacy and confessing our inadequacy, the greater use we will be in the kingdom. Awful quiet. And then there's the posture. What do they do? They both went and stood and prayed. Now, that's not wrong. But how they stood is instructive. There are two words that can be used and are used in this parable for the term stood. We read it in our English language as one word, but they're not the same. Jesus used these two words intentionally. Uh, and for the Pharisee, it means taking a position proudly in order to be recognized by others. You know, if I called on the Pharisee in this room to pray, he would strut down to the front and he'd probably come right up here on this step or maybe right up here beside me and he'd say, all y'all be quiet, I'm going to pray. And he'd stand there with his chest out, his chin up, and he'd congratulate himself, which is exactly what he did. He prayed to himself about himself. Yes or no? Now, a prayer, the prayer he prayed from those lips didn't rise any higher than the end of his nose. Think about it. You know, sometimes we say our prayers don't get any higher than the ceiling. Well, I don't think his got any farther than that right there. I think it just went out and just landed on the floor. Now, Jesus is using this to teach us. And so he stood apart pridefully because he was too good. This is their thought. He was too good to mingle with the common worshipers, right? He deemed himself better than all of them. And this was common among the Pharisees. He used I five times in his prayer. And this tells us a great deal about his heart. His righteousness consisted of the things he did not do. How many times have we measured ourselves in our righteousness or our Christian service by the things we don't do? I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't. And that's what this guy was doing. He's not an extortioner. He's not unjust. He's not 
an adulterer. And this attitude is prevalent across the larger scope of the Christian church today. I'm really good and I'm really cool and I'm valuable to God because of all the things I don't do. Right? That attitude exists. It's very wrong, but the attitude exists. And that's the only thing I'm trying to point out. But he's not even like this sorry, low-life publican over here. Can you, I mean, there's a certain irony in this prayer. You just got to see it, and it's okay to, to, to be amused by it, to laugh at it, because you're seeing things in such stark relief. So I'm not even like this publican, this person who's helping collect taxes. There was disdain and contempt for those who were in sin. They didn't care at all, and that's what Jesus was pointing out. They didn't care at all for the people who were living in sin that Christ came to redeem. Ouch. And he said, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Now, this leaves a little bit to be desired in our English translation. What that passage really means is, I'm better than the rest of mankind. I mean, this, this is pride on steroids. I mean, it's driving a freight train. I'm better than all of mankind because I'm a Pharisee. Well, what was missing from this man's prayer? There was no praise of God. There was no, bless the Lord, O my soul, as we sang when we began. There was no praising the Father for who He was. There was no honest confession of who God is and who I am. Now, He had a lot of things to confess, but it, it wasn't genuine. It wasn't good. What else was missing? There was no offering. You know, the, and, and, you know, we are so bad sometimes in the modern church about thinking, well, the offering is what goes in the plate. Well, yeah, that, that's it, but that's a symbol. That's an outward expression of giving myself to the Father, which is what I'm supposed to do first. Love the Lord your God with how much? All of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm the first offering. The rest of it comes later. Somebody said a long time ago, probably before I was born, you know, if, if God gets your heart, he'll get your pocketbook. They go together. You know, you want to know what a person's faith is? Just give me your check register. I'll show you. Mm, ouch. <laughs> that hurts, doesn't it? There was no thanksgiving. Is there any word in there of thanks to God? He just, hey, I thank you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. That's it. But no thanks for what God is, for who he is, what he's done. And you already know, I've told you this before, that it was common among Pharisees to pray a prayer. They had prayers for everything. They were ritual prayers. They were rote prayers. And they said them mindlessly and endlessly. Every, every Pharisee would recite the 18 three times a day. That's 18 prayers based on different scriptures. And they would do it three times a day. They had a prayer for everything. Now, one of the prayers that they would pray is, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile. I thank you that I'm not part of Rome. And the third thing is, I thank you that I was not born a woman. It's true. That's what they did. And now he gets over to his positive list. I fast. I tithe. Now, y'all are going to look up these things this afternoon or next Sunday in your small group time. You, you can go and cite those and see why they did what they did. But... You see, what the Pharisee reminds us of is this, that it is possible for one's religion to become the stumbling block that keeps them out of heaven. I can be so consumed with my religiosity that I fail to have a relationship. 
the Apostle Paul, who was the Pharisee of Pharisees, who had the education of the day, who sat at the feet of the teacher, he said of himself after he was saved, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross. I am nothing. Galatians 6, go look it up. But the publican, what did he do? He stood as well. But here, Jesus uses the word for stood. That means his head was bowed and he had a very sorrowful countenance and demeanor. Seven words in his prayer. Those seven words give us three things. I am a great sinner. I deserve punishment. And I plead for the mercy of Almighty God. That is how people come. That is how the kingdom begins. You're going to look in your small group times at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to do all that for you right here. But what's the first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who know that they are destitute of anything of spiritual value. That's where the kingdom begins and that's why Jesus put it first. If you don't come that way, you don't come. If I do not come confessing my great sin and my great need, then I don't come. There is no merit of my own on which I may rely. It doesn't exist. He's pleading for the mercy that only God can give. And you see, it reminds us, I quoted at the beginning, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. But what do verses 1 and 2 say? Those are the ones that you remember the best. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as what? Living sacrifices. It is your reasonable service of worship. And you see, the sacrifice belongs to someone else. When you and I come, we give ourselves to the Father. That's the sacrifice. I give to Him that which He deserves, that which is due Him. Glory, praise, thanksgiving, a life that I can submit to Him. That is all for Him. He is worthy of it. Now, here's what you see. Genuine worship does something. It changes the worshiper. How many times, not looking for a count, but how many times have I come to worship and I left the same way I was when I came in? How many times have I come and not been prepared, not sought the Father, not, not having that desire in my heart that says, change my heart. Let me see me in your point of view. Isaiah was before the Lord. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. And when he saw the Lord, he saw himself. And our prayer needs to be when we come together, as we've already prayed this morning, and I'm so glad that all of this happens, it, but we say, Lord, let, it, let me see you. Let me see you in your word. Speak to me. Change me. Convict me. That's why we come. We don't come to congratulate ourselves or to pat each other on the back and say how wonderful you are. God really had, got a good deal when he drafted you onto heaven's team. He didn't do that. He bought you with a price. And it was for his glory that he did it. Mm. You see, the Pharisee 
left the church service the same way he entered it. Proud and unchanged. The publican left changed and forgiven. Now it's obvious which one we would rather be. And don't miss the fact that Jesus repeated some words from Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, 11 is the same thing that concludes this parable. Everyone who exalts himself shall, shall be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And you see, it is our task, it is incumbent upon us to ask the Father to seek His power to maintain a humble attitude. Because we're all, okay, maybe you're not, but just let me say me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm flesh enough, I'm sinful enough, I'm fallen enough that I can be tempted to pride. And like I said in the beginning, I won't always know it. That's a scary thing. I don't want to go there. I know that I don't want to go there, but sometimes it doesn't mean that I didn't, you know, fall off the path and step in it. You will remember the great sin of David with Bathsheba and all that surrounded that. When David wrote his confession in Psalm 51, verse 17, I think stands alongside this parable, as does Romans 12, 1, 2, and 3. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, the Lord tells us to come to Him confessing our need. And how often do people across cities and states today, they come to worship like the Pharisee came. And it's just checking the box. Hey, I was there. I did my part. You know, I'm out of I'd have played on my phone all the time service was going on. But hey, I was there. That's got to be worth something. Oops. Wasn't worth anything. So we need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for each other. And we need to have that prayer that says, hey, I understand that when a person comes, they come confessing sin. And you see, I think that's one of the great large problems across the scene of the church today. And I'm going to be done with this. But I think the Pharisee represents the person in church who comes because they got an incorrect invitation. And by that I mean this. When we present the gospel to someone, do we tell them, hey, just trust the Lord and everything in your life is going to be great, rosy, and wonderful. God's going to give you peace. He's going to give you this. He's going to give you that. And oh, by the way, you get to spend eternity in heaven with him. That accounts for a great deal of what passes in today's world as evangelism. What is real evangelism? Real evangelism says, hey, there is a holy God. You stand before him condemned. There is no trial that's necessary. You are guilty from the word go and you will suffer eternal punishment apart from God in a place called hell. If you do not confess your sins and ask God to save you by his mercy and his grace. That's a different invitation than most people get today. We've tried to make the gospel palatable. We've tried to make it appealing. And what we get is somebody who came without full knowledge and what in some measure could be called a false pretense. People have to get really lost in order to get really saved. Right. 
The publican knew he was lost, and he did something about it. That's the answer. And whether that be maybe the person in the mirror, our family members, our friends, our co-worker, whoever it is, people need to get lost. They need to hear the truth. It's not always pleasant. Not everybody's going to receive it. But Jesus said that would happen too. But we share the truth, do we not? And the truth allows us to be honest with God and ourselves and say, change my heart. Come back to our land, as we sing. And so here is a, I think, at least one proper response. Worship is always about revelation and response. You know that. But how do we respond here? 